be. So I had somebody else um, asking me too, like, "Hey, what do you use?" And like, you know, like just general like podcast questions. I'm thinking about starting up a show on this. And oh yeah. So a lot of people are asking. I mean, well, a number of people are asking us this now, which is, you know. So it's kind of like, oh, maybe we should do a show about that. Like, because when you were, you had put something in about like kind of our, like our tools or whatever, like how we do what we do. Yeah. I was like, huh. I bet, I mean, obviously people are interested in that. So, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's or not- we can do like, what's her name that left, uh, what did she start? I think she left NPR, everyone to BuzzFeed. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we don't know then, how we're going to do it, but. And then started her own, like, what is it? It's like Sunshine something. I don't forget the name of it, but started her own like podcast company to like, help companies build podcasts right but we don't know basically they're just building npr radio (laughs) shows like johnson and johnson or whatever yeah well we could do it you know maybe that would be maybe we could um thinking.fm could expand into consulting for you know startup fledgling podcasts i am not adverse to that and i highly welcome that um can, can we start about that with with the hosting stuff can I, yeah. Can I write? Okay. Yeah. You want to count us down? Sure. Ah, oh, shit. I can't remember what five is in French. I was going to count down in French. Cinco? So, no, it's not Cinco. <laughs> All right, we'll count up to three cinco? in French. It's Cinco. Um, cinco. It cinco. Cinco. Okay. No, you said Cinco. That's not French. That's Spanish. <laughs> Your mom's uh, we'll Spanish. We'll do it. Okay, so the tour is going to start next month. So, we'll, we'll, um, we'll count down from three like they do in the tour. In French. So, toi, de, on. Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley. I'm Sam Harrelson. Like, like La Tour de France? Yeah, yeah, yeah. La Tour de France is starting in July. Yeah, I gotta start doping up. <laughs> You're probably a little late to the game now. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. That's just not what Lance says. Or two. Um, Every not... little bit helps. <laughs> Well, you know, when you're when you're climbing the Pyrenees, you got to have all the testosterone you can get. This is true. This is true. Yes, I'm so frustrated because uh, we we lost out on the last, I guess, three or four days of our stats because of our current podcast, um, not host, but but the file host and, and who we do all the the stat stuff through. And they didn't. They didn't send me an email. There was no tweet. There was no, hey, you might want to check out, you know, your, your stats because uh, your stats aren't updating. And uh, I just happened to log in today, and I thought, well, we're gonna we're gonna record thinking religion tonight. So let me see how how last week did over the last couple of days because you know I log in regularly just to see. And and I got this terrible message, and also upset. And it it was like, uh, oops, sorry. Um, you know, our, our mainframe that we were using crashed and, uh, we'll do better next time. And I'm like, I, I paid a, a lot of money for this and, and you're, yeah. you're, you're not gonna. Well, and two, like, uh, okay. So you're going to have an issue every now and then, right? Everybody does. But what's worse is not, not knowing, not notifying. Send me an email. Send me an email. Yeah. I know. Right. I, I, well, I because this, too, yeah. yeah. So this weekend you were like going, you know, you were on Twitter, like sending out kind of all these stats for the site and for the show and things like that. And kind of, Hey, here's our year over year improvement. It's I mean, it's kind of been fantastic to watch. Right. Um, 
that's like what we like to see, but I also think listeners like to see too. Like you're not the only person, surprisingly, that listens to the show, right? Yeah, so exactly, exactly. A lot it's of like, other people apparently like it too. It's kind of catching on. So um, <laughs> you're, you're one of a few yeah. thousand people. Congratulations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and that, you know, so I, I'm sitting here and on, sen- on Sunday, today's what, Tuesday? On yeah. Sunday, I really thought about nuking the whole thing, not not the show, but saying I'm going to move us over to Lipson or a different, you know, hosting platform uh, because I, I'm tired of that. And uh, quasi friend of the show, Dan Benjamin, who runs five by five dot TV, which is a great podcast network. Uh, it's starting something called fireside and he's building in all these cool things and it's in beta. And I'm just really sad that we're not, in the beta yet because it, if we were i would just move everything over yeah. so dan i'm going to tweet you after the show please let us into the beta i know you launched last week i listened to your podcast and uh it'd be it would be really helpful to uh well you have to that. imagine too like he's gonna do it right right I mean, yeah and he's i like, mean you know yeah. he, he's a perfectionist and he, right. you know he, he's a gentleman so he's gonna do it well um yeah because i i don't know there's you know, it's it's one thing to do a podcast where you just kind of sit on a on a microphone and talk to your friend and don't really take it seriously. But I, I know you and I aren't going to make a million dollars off of this, but we we take it damn seriously, or I do. Yeah, yeah, no, we definitely do, and yeah. more so like you know, honestly, like kind of the the listener feedback and like meeting people in real life, like hey, I listen to the show, like that actually. Honestly, it makes you take it more seriously. You know? <laughs> no, and when I look at the stats when they're available, yeah. and I, I see that, like, oh, oh, crap! Like, you know, four thousand people listen to this show. I, you know, maybe we need to, uh, you know, be. Uh, maybe I need to say this, or maybe to say that. And it's like, no, I mean, we need to be ourselves because that's why people listen. But it's nice when you can actually get stats and not have a couple of days of, of downtime. So if you are listening, I, I just want to put this out there one more time. Not not to do a pitch right at the beginning of the show. This is thinking religion, as Thomas said. And it's it's a it's a I don't know accidental show about religion. <laughs> I think that's I think that's you know, yeah it's an accidental religion podcast. Yeah, and uh, if you like it, as Thomas drinks, there's a there's a <laughs> link up in the show notes. To our to our Patreon page, and we would really appreciate like just a dollar a month. That's all it takes, or or you know five or ten dollars a month. Um, that that would really go far. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. We're, we're, I'm not going to spill, but I, we've had offers for advertisers, and I go back and forth because even though I work in marketing and I pay the mortgage using marketing and advertising, I've always thought of thinking. Dot .fm as something that was um I I don't want to go the the Terry Gross listener supported route, you know, where where we do the fun drive, fundraising drives and all that stuff. Right. You can buy back the next two episodes <laughs> if you give now. <laughs> we'll we'll send you a mug. No, we're not going to send you a fucking mug. Like you don't get a mug. You don't get a mug. You know what? You get a fucking podcast. How's that? You get a podcast. Congratulations. Um anyway, it, it, and 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 you'll be a better person for it. Yeah, yeah. You, you won't hear Ira Glass say that. You won't hear Ira Glass say you don't you don't get a mug, you don't get a tote bag, 
what else does NPR give? Uh, 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 you, you can't put a seed into a vase that we're going to send you and it grows up into a beech tree or some shit. But you get a great show. And um, hope your kids aren't listening. So what's going on, Thomas? How you doing? Uh, so I'm a little disappointed. Um, right before we the show started tonight, we get notification from Evernote that they are changing their pricing plan. Um, and as the regular listeners will know, we're big fans of Evernote here at uh, Thinking Religion. Um, and so now they, they have three tiers, basic plus and premium. They've had these tiers for a while now. But now the big change they're making, which is, I think, going to be their most significant change, is um, limiting the basic free plan to only two devices. So say like your computer and your phone. Uh, that's kind of a problem since I have Evernote on at least four devices, and I'm a <laughs> I'm a basic Evernote guy. You're so basic. I'm so basic. Yeah, I've gotten by for a really long time with my basic Evernote, and it has served me admirably. I mean, I have something like seventeen thousand notes in there. Wow, um, wow! You you have like okay. So I've been paying. <laughs> I've been paying for premium since two thousand eight, like eight years ago. And I have a quarter of the notes that you do. Yeah. And you're a free user. Right. And you're complaining about this? <laughs> I'm not no, I'm not complaining. I'm just a little disappointed. Uh, why are you disappointed? I mean, honestly, I like I've I've gotten you know, I, my free ride has been fantastic. <laughs> Come on and take a free ride. Yeah. Yeah, it, it you know, get off the bus. I mean, you, you got to pay. You got to pay. If you're going to use it at at that level, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, and I I do use it at a at a pretty high level, which, which I imagine ninety percent of the people that use Evernote are free, at least ninety percent. Yeah, you know they're they're not premium or well. This is what I tell people all the time. Like, yeah, you know, it's a freemium model, right? So they have free, and then they have paid versions that have more, uh, you know, more features. But you can very much get by on the free model because I've been doing it for eight years. So, so okay, I, I dump a lot of files and PDFs and that kind of stuff from, from clients into Evernote every day. How Do you know how much storage you get? I don't know how much. Um, they used to tell us how much, but it doesn't say anymore. Okay. So on their new blog Because they're basic, right? plus, and premium. Right. And I'm a premium member, so I get 10 gigs, and I get all the OCR stuff. Which is really awesome, and it will search inside of your like documents and PDFs that you have. Yeah, which which has saved my bacon so many times, especially yeah. in a client meeting. And they're like, "Well, what do you think about this?" And I'm like, "Hold on a second, let me. Okay, here's you know here here's this term that we talked about, or here's this uh, you know campaign thing that we yeah. talked about." It gives in you a presentation PDF. mode as well. Yeah, and I use it all nice. the time now. Yeah. Like that's so you don't get presentation mode in uh, in free. No, you don't basis. get offline notebooks either. Which is a big pain. What are you pain. doing? <laughs> How do you live? That that's a, that's a big pain. Like when I'm on a plane, I'm like, oh yeah, let me work on ah shit. I can't work on that because it's in my Evernote and I'm on my phone. Yeah, now, see, if I'm, on, and, and if I'm when, on my computer, like you you can obviously on your computer get offline notes because it saves right. it, you know, there locally. Um, but, but no, like uh, I just pull on my phone or my tablet. Yeah, so when I'm on my iPad, I'm just before I get on a plane, I'm like, okay, I want this notebook, this notebook, this notebook offline, and I hop on the plane, and it's all good, and it's all there, because you know I'm just syncing it up as I'm sitting in the in the terminal before we hop on the plane. So you you basic people don't get 
is that is that is that ping pong um for me to say you're you're basic but you people don't get uh uh any any type of offline stuff i didn't realize that well so back in the day you used to right so and this is this has been my beef with evernote and it's i don't know it's stupid and it's just because i haven't been willing to pay for it um it's like five bucks a month or four bucks their model their model in moving to push more people to get paid accounts has been to take features away and not to add new features, which probably is a more effective model, right? Because people are going to be like, Hey, I can't live without that. So I'm going to pay to get it. Um, like to me, having Evernote only on two devices is not worth it. But they're adding the idea they're of adding Evernote new is that you can access it everywhere. Right. Um, but so you used to back in the day, be able to get offline notebooks with a free account. And then that began to change as well. So a number of things have changed over the years. Yeah, I mean, it's... Okay, the service has been around for nine years now. And they're constantly... Not constantly, but they're adding new stuff or a eight, lot. Eight, right? I think they just had their eighth birthday, maybe. Well, yeah, eight. Right, right, right. That was 2008. Um, and, I mean, I, I've used it since, you know, it first launched. Um, and and I, I saw the value, and I signed up for premium. And back then, if you signed up for... A, premium you got a free t-shirt and just the other day i pulled out the t-shirt and i wore it to to mow the lawn <laughs> no uh, it's got a big elephant on the front i probably shouldn't do that it's probably like a, a i should put that in a safe place now since well, but you've worn it now so <laughs> she like kept it in the original like plastic packaging or whatever yeah thing. right um but it, okay so for evernote plus it's four dollars a month or 35 dollars a year for premium, which is what I pay for, it's eight dollars a month or seventy dollars a year. And premium is ten gigs, plus is one gig. Like when, you, if you're really going to use Evernote and you do the math, like eight bucks a month is not that expensive for what you're getting. Yeah, and actually, if you pay it by the year, it's only like it's less than six bucks a month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I mean, for a service that I use every single day, right, and have so much of my life in it, makes, it makes sense to pay for it. And at this point, I will because they've forced my hand. And, you know, I guess <laughs> well done, Evernote. Well, it, it, you know, I always think of the academic folks. And speaking of advertisers on the show, like uh, I've talked to a few advertisers who say, well, we'd love to advertise on your show, but academics don't pay for this software. They, they're not going to pay right. for you know, our Bible annotation software. <laughs> I'm like, well, what? Then, what? you know, where are you going to, are you going to go on a, you going to go on Al Mohler show and, and advertise? Um, is that really the case? Like, I mean, do you think that, cause, I mean, I, I would think that a lot of academics would hop on to something like Evernote Premium. So I don't know. Honestly, it depends. I, I think there's kind of anecdotally seems to be, um, a split maybe right down the middle where you have some people who believe wholeheartedly, like I think people should pay for my work. So I should pay for other people's work and you know, I want people to buy my book. So my students need to buy other people's books and you know, I'm not going to photocopy the book for them or whatever. Besides the fact that, that violates copyright laws. Uh, but then other people, a ton of academics, maybe it's just because I've been around so many grad students lately that don't have any money for the past few years. Um, but I mean, there is a, I don't know, it's it's pirating, basically, is what it is, right? I mean, there's a really healthy kind of pirating market 
um, you know, for however you want to talk about it, good or bad, right? If it's freeing the information or whatever, uh, within academia of, hey, we shouldn't have to pay for that. Like, hey, I've got a PDF of this book. I'll, yeah, it's in my Dropbox. I'll send you a link or whatever. You know, hey, you know, a lot of people put out on Twitter all the time or Facebook, hey, I've, you know, I need this article, but my institution doesn't have, doesn't have access to this journal or this database. You know, I don't want to pay the $35 for the article, which admittedly is ridiculous for one article. Anybody have it? Oh, yeah. And then within two minutes, somebody says, check your email, and you've got the article. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that some things they're willing to pay for, right? Um, like, you have to pay for Scrivener, and um, a lot of academics are willing yeah. to pay for that. Yeah. Um, Which is a fantastic app. But, you know, I, I think that there are only a handful of things, yeah, that – but I don't think it's just academics. I think I think this is just kind of symptomatic of kind of our larger culture – cultural relationship to tech anyway, right? Where – say when the App Store opened and still most apps are free. The expectation was built up that it should be free. Um. It's the same thing that's happened, right? And this is what, you know, it's kind of cliche to talk about, I guess, but it's what, uh, you know, publishers are dealing with, right? Newspapers and magazines of the model when you first got on the web was to give your content away for free because you didn't know any better. And then now you're like, oh, crap. Now people aren't going to pay for our stuff. Um, so I don't think it's just academics, but I do think that I know a ton of academics who, yeah, probably would not pay for it but then there are others who probably would right because they're just they don't care they're dropping like whatever but maybe it's not it's not books so maybe they're not dropping the money as quickly but they do drop some money on books i mean i know i drop money on books um (laughs) i know that's a good that's a good question i mean for like kind of a larger demographic survey that i don't know the answer to but anecdotally it seems to seems to me that maybe it's split but it may be split along socioeconomic lines well i want to get back to how how you read books in a minute you say that you drop a lot of money on books and i know most academics do and and ministers do and and, you know maybe the hoi polloi doesn't necessarily but you know books are still a a very important part of the knowledge currency right yeah so i want to talk about that in a minute but i i guess in, in a in a wider scope you have a MacBook, and so when you go to a conference or you, you go to work now, and and you, I go to work now. <laughs> now that you have a job. I used to go to work. <laughs> You've never had a job. I have had a job. I've had plenty of jobs. I true. You worked in a luggage store before. I did. I did manage a Samsonite back in the day. And, and you were you worked at that 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 uh, adult toy store. Wow. Well, yeah. Shelby. And, yeah. yeah, and I worked at a church. Yeah. And, and the church, yeah, right. And so, then I did work for FSU as a, you know, graduate teaching assistant. That but, doesn't count. All right, yeah. so well, I, my yeah, my paycheck would agree with you that that was not <laughs> a good job. So now that you have your first real job, which is kind of depressing at my age, <laughs> but yes, go on. Right, are you are you are you throwing your laptop into your uh, into your nice bag and and, and dragging it? to work or are you putting an ipad in there or are you just taking your phone like i take all of the above okay so so you do take your laptop in yeah 
Well, f- so for a few days, so they had to like reimage my computer because it was running Windows Seven and oh, Office God. 2010. Oh, okay. uh, which <clears throat> yeah was not working. So they reimaged it and got um, Windows 10 and Office 2016. So that's good. Um, but which is which is kind of nice. I mean, I'm a Mac guy, 100. percent but Windows 10 is pretty nice. Um, you know, as far as our as far as Windows operating systems go, it's it's, it's great. You know, I, I use it, it every day. It's a really I mean, good it's, operating system. It's what system. I'm sitting in front of right now. It's what we're recording on. I, I I really like Windows 10. Yeah. So, but yeah. So for a few days, I m- my personal laptop was my work laptop as well because I didn't have a computer in the office. Um, but yeah, I still take it every day. Um, you know, walking into meetings and stuff. If I'm just walking into a conference room right down the hall or something. It's easy to just walk in with my computer, take my notes, or you know, I carry my my iPad and my mod still with me every single day, and that goes with me. You know, if it's like, oh, it's across campus. I don't want to walk across campus with my laptop. You know, take my mod, pull my laptop. Okay, pull my so, iPad. so you, you carry your mod with an iPad and your laptop every day. Every day. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And my phone, obviously, too. Sure. Sure. So, do you ever use your iPad? Uh, some. It's usually either my phone or my laptop, really. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found. For and that's me, what I found, honestly, after I went to the the six plus when I got the six plus when it came out because I have an iPad Mini, right? Um, which was great. I love the size; it's really portable. But when I got the six plus, there, I mean, there's a size difference. There's very clearly a size difference, but. There weren't as many tasks that I felt like, oh, the screen's not big enough for my phone. Let me go grab my iPad. Um, and because it's not that much larger. So it's kind of like usually it's my phone or my laptop uh, is what I'm going back and forth between. But I do but – the, but the iPad really is nice for meetings. You know, pulling that up, pulling up my Evernote in a meeting um, and taking notes or seeing notes that I'd already made. Uh, in a, you know, it's, it is more portable than my laptop is. Yeah, I it, so I'm I'm kind of going through that now. So last week I had to go. I didn't have to, but I, I went to uh, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship General Assembly up in Greensboro, and I took my iPad. I have it's an iPad Pro, to be fair, and I have the iPad Pencil or Apple yeah. Pencil, or whatever it's called. Now you have the nine point seven inch iPad Pro. I have the nine point seven inch, yeah. and I have the smart case uh, thing with the keyboard. Yeah, yeah. So total. You know, the the iPad Pro was, I got the 64 gig, so it was. The LTE version or just the Wi-Fi? No, version? no, no, just Wi-Fi. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm thinking now, so, like, I mean, my iPad has LTE, but I don't pay for it anymore because I have plenty of, you know, get, you know, data with my phone. So I can just create a hotspot at any time I need it yeah, if exactly, I don't have Wi-Fi exactly. access. And, and I have all kinds of things that can do that. Um, so I'm trying to find the, I think it was five ninety nine or six ninety nine for the one I've got. And then I got the, uh, the, the, the keyboard, which is also kind of a case that was 150 bucks. And then this pencil is, uh, 100 bucks and yeah. it's about, you know, twice what it should be, but <laughs> I know. so it's about a thousand bucks total for this little package. And I'm not an Apple person. I mean, you know that. And people that listen to the show know that. Yeah. My personal phone is still my Nexus 5X, which I love because it's small. But I also have an uh, iPhone 
six S plus, I guess. Yeah. Plus, which is my, uh, my work phone. So I'm one of those jerks that have two phones <laughs> because, you know, taxes and business stuff. So all my work calls and all my work apps and all that stuff are on the iPhone. And then all my personal stuff like Tinder and grind. No, grinder. <laughs> what, what's, what's the, uh, Let's see, that's when you're thinking like Trender or something. There, there's like, oh, I don't know. How have I missed this? There's a, there's like a Tinder version. Yes. Yeah. So there's Grindr for, 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 uh, for the gay guys. And then they've been holding out on me, Sam. I didn't know. <laughs> I'll that. send you a link. There, there's another one. So there, there's Tinder and Grindr and Trender or anyway. Uh, so all those apps are on my, my personal Android phone. But I, I, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to take my, macbook i'm not going to take um the chromebook i'm, I'm going to take this ipad pro and i'm going to use that as my computer for the week and i took it to greensboro and it worked really well and i was really really excited about it and uh it, it's caused me to reevaluate a few things so here in the office i've got this you know big ass uh computer that's you know top of the line whatever specs windows 10 all that stuff this is my truck, you know, so like this is the heavy duty stuff. But when I need to get stuff done just kind of on a daily basis, I like the idea of me just being able to to whip out the iPad Pro and get kind of the day to day done. And I've got this little Dodo case uh, out of San Francisco. You know, Dodo case, right? Like yeah, they, yeah. they make the, the book binding things. They make a leather kind of folio thing that I bought last year. For another iPad, I had the iPad Air 2, which is the same size, basically, as the iPad Pro 9.7. And this thing fits perfectly in that. And I just had it up on a shelf. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've got that other case. So I pulled it down the other day and before Greensboro. And I carried this thing around. And it looks professional. And it's nice. And anyway, I, I mean, I got everything done. I mean, the, the only thing was... I mean, there's some coding things. There's some stuff on like Squarespace.com, which we use for a couple of client sites. But you know, when, when you talk about Evernote or when you talk about you know, gosh, email, you know, calendaring that that type of kind of day to day minutia, you don't need a full fledged laptop to do any of that, especially when you have something like this. And it, it feels to me much in the same way that it felt. When I bought my first laptop in 1997, 1998, which is early, but I'm, I'm a nerd. And people were saying, well, you, you know, you can never get real work done on a laptop because you need a desktop to get real work done. And I was like, no, I'm in college and I'm getting real work, you know, real work done and I'm typing things and it's great. Um, look at me. I'm typing things. Look at me. I'm typing. <laughs> But it, it it feels very much the same way. So, you know, when it, when, I, when I meet with people and they're like, well, you know, where's your computer? And I show up and I'm, I'm going to give a, a couple, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I went to a church and, and I just redid their website and I was doing a presentation and I showed up and I had all the the dongles because I knew, you know, this church probably didn't have yeah. the dongles. But I had all the right dongles, and I just plug in my iPad, and they're like, "Where's your computer?" And I'm like, "No, I'm just going to use the iPad. I'm going to present. You know, I'm using I'm using Keynote." And they're like, "Wait, you're doing that from your iPad?" And I'm like, "Yeah, this is something you know you've been able to do for three or four years now." And you know, people yeah. are amazed by that. You know, that you can just stand there with your iPad and you know flip through, and especially have the pencil, like you can start drawing. And 
people are like, well, you're, you're doing magic. Um, <laughs> so I, I think you're right. Um, Ultimately, right there, there are kind of we're this like transitory period, you know, and, and yeah. I, I think we're 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 at the same place where we went from desktop to laptop. Now we're going from laptop to mobile, and no, you can't do everything you can do on a laptop or a mobile or or, or desktop, but that's okay, and I think that's good. I think I think it is completely fine for the vast majority of users. Uh, there are some pro level things you can't do, right? You can't or you. Like you can't record a podcast realistically still on a tablet. Yeah. Um, what yet? Yeah. I mean, you'll be able to, but I mean, it's, but you can't do that now. You can't do hardcore editing, you know, like you're some Squarespace stuff. Like there are things you can't do, but I think for the, for 90% of users, I think exactly what you're talking about is more than adequate for what they're wanting to do. Right. They're wanting to check their social media. They're wanting to do some email, maybe have to, you know, do a little bit more that's just a little bit more involved here and there, sharing files and, you know, saving stuff to Dropbox and things like that. You can do all of that uh, from mobile. So I think you're right. Um, and what I think is going to have to is going to change with this. And we've talked about this before is the um, product cycle for tablets as well, because the initial idea seemed to be that the, a tablet product cycle was going to follow a phone product cycle. So you could release an incremental update every year, a big update every two years, and people would kind of jump on that. But people's tablets are lasting them longer. They don't get the same hardcore use uh, that phones do generally, right? We're basically 24-7 on your phone. Um, and so we're going to start seeing that product cycle for tablets, I think, expand out as well to more like a, a laptop product cycle, right? Minimal updates every couple of years and then big updates every five or six years, something like that um, is what I think we're going to be seeing with that as well. Because I, I think you're absolutely right. People are going to are slowly beginning to realize, I can, hey, everything I want to do, I can get done on an iPad. Why would I spend more money and get a laptop? Because this keyboard's just as good, you know, whatever. But also I don't need – if there are times I don't need the keyboard, I can leave it behind and it's even lighter. Well, I, I don't know if it's about money because, I mean, this setup costs me – like I said, close to a thousand bucks, you know, between the iPad and the the keyboard. Yeah, okay. So you can get a, a Chromebook for less than that, I guess. Much but, and less, there, right, there are right. a couple laptops that you can get for less than that. But honestly, the laptops well, you Windows can get laptops, less than yeah. that. Yeah, Windows laptops. Yeah, not Mac laptops. But there are a couple Windows laptops you can get for less than that. But I mean, I put the iPad Pro up against a lot of those. Yeah, so, and, and it completely. And uh, so Steven Sanofsky, who was um, at Windows. Or at Microsoft, and he headed up their Windows division uh, from 2009 until like 2012 or 13. He basically carries around an iPad, and that's his computer all the time. So it's kind of funny, you know, <laughs> Steve Sanofsky, who people like me associate with Nokia and with Microsoft, is now like an iPad convert. But when the iPad Pro came out, he really switched over. So he did a, a podcast with A16Z, which is Andreessen Horowitz. Um, they're a major uh, venture capital firm out in the Valley. Uh, he, he did a podcast with them back in April, I believe, when this thing came out, which is when I bought mine. Because uh, about the, the week it came out, because I thought, okay, this is it. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. And I've had basically every iPad model. Um, I, 
I'm that guy who keeps buying them because I think like <laughs> this is going to be yeah. the big thing. And uh, I love my iPad one, and then the iPad two came out, and I stood in line for six hours, and then yeah. But he says like there is no touchpad, so everything is closer. Which, if you think about computing and you think about interacting with a document or in- interacting with something that that you're working on, like that physicality really is important. And then he says, uh, when you're 10 years old and you get put in front of a computer with a mouse, it's the weirdest thing in the world. And he's talking about anecdotal evidence of watching right. you know, 10-year-olds. I have a 9-year-old or 8-year-old daughter now, and watching her try to use a mouse is really funny. <laughs> you know, cause she, I, I've given her Chromebooks all over life, and her Chromebooks have been all basically touch-based. I mean, she, she has a keyboard, and she knows how to use a keyboard really well, but and the touchpad, but a mouse is something that's really foreign to her. Um, my six-year-old daughter has no idea what to do with the mouse. And I imagine my eight-month-old or seven-month-old uh, son will have no idea what a mouse is because <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not going to be touchscreen. So when I was in Greensboro last week, and I'm sitting there you know, working on this iPad, which is in front of me now. Um, I, you know, I, I keep reaching up and touching things, and I'm manipulating PDFs and moving things around. And there's no mouse, and it, it really is kind of liberating, and, and and you do feel a little more personal engagement, and that's what people said back in the mid '80s, when Steve Jobs and and the Apple folks were pushing uh, mice or mouses, whatever the plural of that is, uh, you know, it, it, it's not really a natural extension of anything, you know, and and yes, we all use these now on PCs and on on Macs, but. Back in the mid '80s, this was a revolution that was intended to help us kind of bridge the gap between the physicality of using a a, a, a user experience. And I don't know if that was the best thing. So now that we have our fingers and we can get you know right there with the documents, I think that's really interesting. I don't know. Yeah, it's been odd to me to go back to this Windows machine to go back to a Windows machine and have to use a mouse because even on my my MacBook Pro, I you know have a touchpad, and I have the um, what's it called, the Magic Trackpad or whatever. You know, Bluetooth keyboard, Bluetooth Magic Trackpad, and I have my MacBook Pro up on a stand. Um, and so it's it's not the same as touch screen, but it is. There's I think you know it's kind of a halfway point in this physicality continuum here, where I'm able to you know, guide the mouse, but also do other things, right? I'm able to, you know, zoom in with my fingers just like you do on your phone and things like that. So you do get some, you know, a little bit more of the physicality and going back to the mouse, I'm like, oh, this is weird. Like, okay, how do I, there's like, I really have to scroll this little wheel in the middle of the mouse again to go up and down the page. Like that seems insanely ancient to me. Um, And also now I'm completely locked into what Apple calls, uh, natural scrolling, right? Where what you do is you <laughs> yeah. move the content. And, and this is window. hilarious, right? And then Windows is completely <laughs> not that, right? Well, and it's so the I'm opposite. like scrolling all the time. Right. I'm like, well, it's not doing it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to scroll down. No, I'm scrolling up. What right, the wait, hell's wait, going wait, on? wait, wait, wait. That's not right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you look at things like Project Soli, uh, Project S O L I from Google that they announced at uh, Google IO, their developer conference last month. And <clears throat> project solely is very early, but basically it's this 
Oh, I just triggered Siri on my iPad. <laughs> That's funny. Project Soli. No, didn't, didn't do that again. Uh, basically, it's this idea of being able to manipulate uh, uh, a user interface using your, your fingers, kind of in a, a minority report kind of a way. Yes. And we'll put a link in the show notes. But so to, you know, uh, 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 turn your clock crown or something like you just move your fingers like you're moving it or to you know take a tab and move it over to the other side of the computer you just you know act like you're touching it but you don't really touch it and that's really where we're getting to is 10 years from now i won't be sitting here in front of two big screens with all this information you know it, i it, hope not yeah <laughs> it'll either be virtual or it'll be in, in some kind of a way that's easily easily manipulatable by just you know kind of gestures um and i think the same is is true for tablets and i think tablets get us there because tablets enhance that touch capability so when you talk about something like evernote and a tablet uh for me that's been the real breakthrough as someone who works every day and works with a lot of documents and i'm in client meetings when i can just take my tablet and take a picture of a um you know, of a document and take my Apple pencil out and sign it and annotate it, whatever, and send it back to the client in real time. And they're like, wait, what? Wait, okay. Well, I mean, my, my attorney needs to take a look at this. You're my fax <laughs> like, number. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, sure. But you know, here you go. And we're sitting face to face right now. And I just took a picture of this and I annotated what I needed to annotate. I'm going to send this back to you right now. And, and that's a real game changer. And I'm thinking about, you know, in terms of academics, in the academy, like it, it should be slow, you know, and that's that's always my 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 real not concern, but my real question about the academy using technology. You know, like we we want to throw all this stuff at at you all who are academics and say, no, use Evernote, use this stuff, use this stuff, use this OCR. And you all are like, no, no, we need time to think about this stuff. And you pay us to yeah. think. Yeah, well, right? so, okay. So there are some of us for who, who, who are not that slow, right? Um, but, but I do think as a whole, you're right, that academia is still rather slow in kind of adopting tech. And that's not a bad thing because they're the people that are, like I said, they're paid to think about it. But they're also paid to think about uh, these implications that nobody else has considered and paid to think about it from a theoretical perspective and paid to think about it from – you know, a post-apocalyptic perspective or whatever, um, thinking about use cases, thinking about potential, um, you know, worst case scenarios and things like that. So, yeah, it's not a bad thing. Um, but, you know, I do think too, like, like OCR is an academic's dream, right? I mean, and you know this, I've been saying for years, Every time you buy a book from Amazon or from from any publisher, whomever, uh, it should come with a physical copy and a digital copy that's searchable. I mean, why we don't have this yet is beyond me. I know. I mean, I know why they're trying to make more money, so they're, you know, yeah. But it's it's you know, I want the physical book, and most the vast majority of academics that I know want the physical book for a whole host of reasons. But when I'm traveling and I still need access to that, I can't take 10 books just in case I need to open one up when, you know, so I can work on the road. I should be able to just have access to those digitally as well, 
charge me 20, 30 percent more to get both of them, but don't charge me 100 percent more to get the digital copyright. And by the way, it, we should have one file protocol for all of this and not have um, you know every company having their own proprietary file protocol. And they should all automatically be searchable. The fact that there are digital documents now that companies are producing that aren't searchable is just absolutely insane. Oh, they should they should be PDF, you know, at least. But have yeah. you tried Have you tried some notes? No, I haven't net? tried it yet. So yeah, we were talking about this, and you know they they have a good kind of um, publicity campaign going on right now. Um, <laughs> I, I feel for it. Hey, that's okay. That's okay. I, I know. It that's works. So that's how you do it, right? Yeah. That's how you do it. Um, but, but no, so I, I haven't tried that yet as far as like annotating, um, things it, like that. It, it's fant- You know, you can't really annotate from some notes, but if you've annotated a document before. So, again, I, I use my iPad Pro and, and I'll get a PDF from a client and I'll sit there, you know, at 10 o'clock at night after all the kids have gone to bed and. You know, we're watching a Kimmy Schmidt or something, and I'll just kind of be annotating a PDF, like a contract or, or, or an I.O. or some kind of document that we need to do. And then the next day, I'll, I'll you know, drop it into some notes, and it gives me this kind of like highlights, basically. You know, so I'll take like a 30-page PDF, and all of a sudden I get this really nice sort of summation of, of what that PDF is about. And I can throw that into Evernote, and it syncs with Evernote, which is awesome. Um, and I'm not trying to plug some notes here, but <laughs> I was like, wow, this right. is really interesting. Uh, and I just kind of found this the other day, and, and I, I thought it was a, a fantastic use of, of the, the, I don't know, technology of, of being able to take you know big data and, and use it for something like um, – you know, real application. So uh, I'm imagining if you're an academic and you have a lot of PDFs sitting around, like this could be a really cool thing. We only no, paid I, like yeah. eight thousand dollars for that ad. So that's cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, <exactly. laughs> Thank you. Some notes. Some notes. dot com slash. Oh no. Some notes. dot net slash thinking. dot if no. That we we were not paid for that. No, we were not. Uh, but if um, you would like to buy an ad, some notes, we would we would definitely uh, appreciate that. Yeah, I'm happy to, yeah, I'm happy yeah. to uh, consider yeah. that. Um, no, I, I I think you're right. Yeah, because I'll tell you what the the time the the time I used my iPad the most was when I was in coursework working on my PhD and reading loads and loads and loads of articles. Right, that are you know you get them all online or you get them sent to you ILL when the Basically, now, basically, they always send them to you as a PDF when they send you an article ILL. Um, so there's loads and loads of PDFs of articles and reading them on my iPad, annotating them, underlining, highlighting, adding notes in uh, is when I used my iPad more than I ever used it before. Um, so, And I, I definitely think for academics, that is a, a really important part right because if we're thinking about kind of how you read i i think reading is is participatory right um and that you should be engaging the text not just mentally but also physically um so i'm a big proponent of marking up your books right whether however you want to do it highlight underline whatever if you want to like doggy or the pages you can do that i'm not a big fan of that personally um 
but I do write all of my books. I underline them. You know, I'll write questions. I'll say, well, you know, what about this? Or, or notes like, hey, see you on page, you know, 22, you know, similar, you know, something that connects here. Um, or I'll even, you know, write other things out that are just helpful visual cues when I'm flipping back through and trying to find something. So, okay, well, uh, here is where, uh, like, you know, maybe just like where Bourdieu talks about grammar. Then I'll just you know write some note out about grammar. So when I'm flipping through, I can know like okay, this is the grammar section right here. I'll read this section. Um, so you know, thinking about kind of as much as we can replicating that experience in a digital mobile world, I think that what you're talking about is exactly the way to do that, right? And and that's the thing yeah. like Kindle is not figured out yet, right? For for starters, the fact that the page numbers are not consistent. Right, they're not the same on the Kindle version as they are on, you know, our physical version is just a non-starter for me. Um, but you know, like okay, yeah, I can highlight what you want me to highlight, and it's just you know a little bit too cumbersome. But you know, kind of, and I know PDFs may not be the best, um, you know, file uh, format to use for everything. But just thinking about how it works when you can really annotate a PDF well. Right, kind of do what you would do on paper. Uh, that's when I begin to think, like, yes, we can do this. And then also, where there are all these other things we can do here because it's digital and because it has internet access uh, that we can't do in a book. Right? We can hyperlink the text, and we can, you know, pull up articles, and we can pull up videos. We can do all this stuff too that we can't do in a physical book. Um, it seems like this is the way that you kind of get academics, I think, into incorporating tech into their world. Yeah. I mean, that that too. But, but do you ever think that the idea of, I guess, reading and editing and, and just, you know, making marginalia in, in terms of, of – the sort of uh, the sort of digital landscape will, will catch on for most academics, or or do you think that we're we're, we're stuck with the paper book in, in that format? That's a good question. Uh, so, okay, so marginalia. By the way, it's a fantastic website. If you're interested, um, but marginalia has obviously caught on, right? Physically and in, in physical books with academics. Uh, the, so the question is whether it will catch on digitally and that I'm not so sure. Um, I would like to think that it would because, you know, academics are kind of famous for being stuck in their ways, I guess. And you're used to reading a, an article or, you know, book a certain way. You're going to try to bring those practices to the way you read that text in a digital format. Now, what I think happens is a lot of people maybe are, I don't know, just unsure about, you know, the format that they're using. And so they may not try to do all the things that they have done, even though they can do them. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that it does catch on uh, because I, I think it's a, I think it's how you should read because I think it's how you retain really well um, and how you interact with your reading, right? It's not this just kind of passive thing where you're just soaking up information. Um, but I don't know because I, I do think that in a lot of ways, academics are very much the kind of 90% of computer users and they have kind of the basic everyday things they do with it. They do a little bit more because they're writing more and they're doing more like publishing things. Um, but that's about the extent of it, I think. 
what most academics are doing beyond the general public. And so yeah. they're maybe generally not so kind of adventuresome or, hey, let me figure this out. There, there are exceptions, right? Some of us uh, are doing more Carrie Schroeder. Some other people are doing some fantastic things with digital humanities and, and all these other things. So there are some people who are doing a lot. Um, but I don't think kind of academics on a whole, on the whole, are. But like you said, I mean, this is kind of a – these things catch on slowly, uh, particularly within the academic community. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. At least that way it gets perfected or close to perfected by the time they're kind of using it in earnest, uh, which then I think if that's the case and it's done well, then it will actually stay around for longer. But well, it's funny because uh, when I was when – I, when I first got to college in 1996, freshman year, uh, second day I believe – I went to the computer lab because the first time I get there and I try to plug in my computer to the to the uh, internet and do the dial up thing because we didn't have anything like Ethernet or <laughs> you know wow. hardwired connection in 1996. And at home I'd, I'd had Prodigy and AOL and CompuServe and those things. I, I think AOL was still the big one in 1996. Um, so I go to the computer lab the next day. And my second day of college. And I'll say, hey, um, what's the TCP IP address for me to log in to, to get you know onto, onto the web for AOL or whatever? And the, the guy I talked to was like, why would you want to get onto the web in your dorm room? And that it was a very serious question. And he was like, yeah. like, what's the point of that? Like, dude, we, we have a very nice computer lab. We have Netscape Navigator. We have <laughs> a bunch of Macs. Navigator. <laughs> yeah. That's like, awesome. why, why would you want to get on the, you know, internet in your dorm? Like, that's stupid. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, I want to do it. Saying, so, all right, all right, we'll come back tomorrow and, and talk to our supervisor. So I come back tomorrow and I talk to the supervisor. And we talk it over and he gives me the address and he says, you should be a computer science major. So I become a computer science major after that, like that day. And later became a, a religion major, um, <laughs> right. which he did not like. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it, it convinced me. And I, I did a year and a half of computer science classes, and I, I continued to take computer science courses, even though they were well below my <clears throat> my knowledge level because I was a nerd. Um, but uh, I, I, he, he told me, he was like, I think you're the first person at our school to to get onto the Internet from their dorm room. So I have that unique description of, of being the first person to look at porn. I mean, get on the internet. <laughs> right. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> right. That's what everyone's thinking. But no, I, I had friends. I had a community. And, and if you know me, anyway, it wasn't porn. Um, like, it was a big deal to me to, to be on the web in 1996. And I, I was just so blown away that our, our college didn't do that for, for each dorm room. So finally, in 1998, we, we had uh, every room that was hooked up to the web. But I remember I had to take a, a terrible research class because I was a history minor. We had to take a, a terrible like research blah, 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 blah class from the librarian group. And I said something about the internet, and they're like, oh, pfft. Internet's never going to work as a as a research medium. You're going to have to use real books, and if you're going to use something like the internet, 
then you're going to be susceptible to all these like terrible things that are going to be just, you know, really, I'm, I'm not saying this in a female voice or a male voice. I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, Singing in a librarian voice. I, and, I, and I worked in the library for the first year and a half of, of <laughs> school. So I'm, I'm, I love, I love the library I went, uh, I went to and worked at. Anyway, I, I was just so turned off from that because they were so adverse to using the internet for research. And there were no computers. There were, you know, like it was totally off the grid, totally, uh, you know, card catalog type stuff until about junior year in 1998. And then when I got to Yale um, for grad school, we had card catalogs. And I was like, oh, I know these. And <laughs> my <laughs> second year at Yale, they threw out all the card catalogs from Sterling. And still to this day, I have a very large chest that I picked up picked up off the side of the road and uh, in my truck and drove back to my apartment. That's a card catalog chest from, from Sterling Library at Yale. And none of the cards are in there, but I had this really cool chest because it took only one year for them to say like, meh, <laughs> we're, we're going digital. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I just think it's, it's fascinating, you know, for us to, to, to think that we have this local knowledge, whether it's something like Evernote or you have to have a desktop, you have to have a, a laptop, you can't do real work on an iPad, the internet's never going to take off, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I, I don't think my kids are, if, if they do go to college, if they do, which I don't, I don't think any of my kids will go to college. I mean, maybe, maybe Mary has, or maybe my eight year old will go to college. Maybe. But if she does, she's not going to have a laptop. You know, she's going to have like a like a corneal yeah. implant or some kind of like a contact lens where she interacts with. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I really think that's going to happen, and and we bemoan Kindles, and and I'm sitting here looking at Kindle Voyager, and it, it's amazing. I mean, I can carry twenty eight thousand books on this thing, and and looking at this iPad Pro, which I can carry who knows how many books on this thing, and I. It hurts me to think that that people are so resistant to that. You know? Yeah, but, you know, so the other thing I think, too, right, if we're talking about, like, academics and kind of replicating their physical book reading experience onto, you know, a digital platform like an iPad or whatever, what will be good to see uh, is the, the new ways of reading that come from this these digital platforms, right? These things you can do that you can't, that you already can do, that you can't do with a physical book, right? Press down and hold on to the word and it will look it up for you and give you examples of it, you know, in a sense or whatever, uh, which is great, say, I mean, for anybody, um, but also for kids learning to read like, oh, hey, I don't, I don't know that word. Well, now I don't have to just skip it like you normally do, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I remember, right? We all were there. Well, maybe we weren't. Maybe we should have all been there at one point where we actually wrote down the words we didn't know and then went later and looked them up in our big, fantastic Webster's Unabridged Dictionary of the English Language that I have within arm's reach here of me at my desk. Um, but that didn't last very long for me, right? So generally what you do is you just skip over it. Right? But being able to do that, right? Being able to you know push deeper into that and say, okay, well, okay – tell me a little bit more about the French revolution, right? Uh, you know, what happened kind of what were its causes, you know, whatever, you know, who are the people that were involved? Um, 
you know, things that you can't get from the physical book in a sense, right? So, so I'm interested to see kind of the new ways of reading that continue to develop from this, this digital platform that will help with uh, not just kind of content retention, but also interaction with the text and also um, ways of learning that continue to just broaden your horizon. All right. So as we wrap up, let me ask you this. If you take a nonfiction book off the shelf and you want to read it, how do you do that? Like, do you, do you go word for word or do you uh, do you have a, a strategy? Like, how do you read books? Yes. Yeah, so um, it depends on what it's for. But say nonfiction book, if I'm reading it for research or something, um, if I'm trying to figure out whether I need to read it closely, then I will read the table of contents and then I will skim the introduction. Um, if I'm trying to read it to kind of grasp the argument a little bit more fully, I'll do those things. I'll read the introduction pretty closely because if it's written well, that should tell me what I need to know about the book, really. Um, and then I'll go to the chapters that I need for whatever I'm working on. Um, and on occasion, you know, academic books, I will, I will read cover to cover. Um, but generally, right, you're picking up these books because you want to, you're trying to make a certain argument. You want to see what they say about this so that you can either agree with it or refute it or whatever. And then you move on. Yeah. You, you want to know how I read those books? Yeah. Well, one thing real quick though is part of the reason that I read that way is because like a lot of stuff you don't have to read. Right. When you've been doing it a certain amount of time, you kind of all the background stuff like you should already know of that already. You don't need to read any other background stuff. Uh, all you need to go to is kind of the new material. Uh, and so that's usually what I try to do with with academic books. Now, it's different with fiction and with some other things, but that's generally how I I tend to read an academic book. So so that's why you don't read Bart Ehrman's books, right? Like you just you look at the cover and you can tell what it's about and just skip over <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you already know the argument. So, like, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'm but sorry. that's an important, yeah. right? Yeah, it, but it's true. like, but not just Bart Ehrman, but like with, with anything, like, Cross you already know whoever, what the yeah. argument is. Yeah. And you know how they're making it, you know, the sources that they're using to make it. Like, what, it, it's fine to read it, and you can maybe here and there glean something interesting from it. Or if you're talking, you know, if you're writing something about their argument or how they make their argument, the sources they rely on, or whatever, then you need to read it closely. But, like I don't need to read a lot of texts that are just rehashing things that people have been saying for a hundred or two hundred years. Like I know the argument, I'm really familiar with it. That's why you know I have multiple graduate degrees in this. Like that's what that got me essentially. And so yeah, I don't I don't need to spend my time doing that because there are way more books than we can read, you know, produced every year. So yeah. you you have to manage your time wisely. Yeah, so I, I I like the um, who was it that that came up with this? Oh, oh, um, what's her name? Terry Gross from Fresh Air. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, she she always says read read the flaps if if the book has you know does cover flaps. Read right. the back of the book. Read the intro. Read the first two chapters. No, read the intro. Then go to the index if the book has an index. 
and if it's a proper nonfiction book, it should have an index. And read through the index and just kind of see, like, oh, I know that, I know that, you know, uh, I'm familiar with that person, not. And then go read the first two chapters, and then flip through the book and read the first paragraph, or the first two paragraphs, and the last paragraph of each chapter, and you're done. And it takes about 30 minutes a book. Yeah, and the only thing you could add to that that I've heard other people say is, so with the other chapters, when you read the first and last paragraph, then the paragraphs in between, you read the first and last sentence. Right, right, right. Like that, that skim thing. And and you yeah. find that, that paragraph, that the chapter, you know, if it's a compelling chapter after the first paragraph or first two paragraphs, you find that paragraph that the whole chapter or maybe book is, is sort of hinging on, you know, if right. you're trying to make a, a big point. But but you're done. I mean, you can read any academic book in basically 30 minutes if you know what you're doing. And I think that's what's so interesting is that some of us know how to do school well or know how to do that kind of academic stuff well. And some of us don't, you know, and some of us like like for me, like I, I was the first person in my, my family to go to, to go to college. And it took me a good two years to figure that out. And I graduated summa cum laude and, and Phi Beta Kappa and I'll you know, first in my class and all this t- kind of stuff. But it took me a couple of years to realize, like, holy right. shit, like, there's an easy way to read this. <laughs> you know, yes. it feels like you're cheating, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm going to read some Hegel. Oh, let me read some Hegel. I'm going to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had, you know, we had a we had a mutual professor in grad school who would say it's only a lot of reading if you do it. So, you know, there's there's that thing. But, you know, so related to that, I tell students a lot, right? Um, You know, I'm constantly encouraging my students, like, you need to learn languages. Like, it will just make you a better person. It will change how you view the world, right? Because it's not, you know, and you're not just plugging, you know, it's not like plug and play with words here. Like, you're learning a way to think about the world. Um, And they're all like, well, how do you do it? And, you know, like, oh, but you know so many. And I'm like, yeah, but the thing is, like, once you learn how to learn a language, everything after that is pretty easy. Right? It's vocabulary and it's little tweaks here and there with grammar. Um, sometimes it's a new alphabet, but I mean that – like you pick up the alphabet within a week or two. That's easy. So you know, it's like you're saying. Like once you learn how to read, then you realize like, oh, this isn't that difficult and actually it's kind of enjoyable. Right. And I think that that's something that we're – you know. I don't know. We've lost it. I don't know that like there was some great golden age where everybody knew how to read in the way that we're talking about. But it is something that a lot of people don't know. And when you do know it, you don't realize other people don't know that. Yeah. And it feels like you're cheating. Yeah. Well, and, and everybody's like, well, how do you do this so fast? And you're all, you know, it's like, I don't know. I just read fast, I guess. But then, you know, then you think about it more and you're like, oh, well, I have I have strategies for how I read. And maybe they don't have the same strategies. Yeah. Yeah, it's why some people go to law school, and some people go to grad school for religious for religion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some people want to make money, and then other people go to get degrees in religion. It's like uh, go, go read your James Michener novel. That's great, but that you know that that's a pleasure read. You know, like take your time, sit in the bath, right? Read the Island by James Michener or or the Tell or whatever his book is. Um, but it, it, you know, if you're reading basically any other kind of like academic book it's there are strategies to do that and it's not that difficult i mean it's difficult but it's not i don't know 
I, I think it's fascinating that uh, we um, we mystify it so much. Yeah, too, and like we were talking about before the show, too, there's this idea of um, not just that, but then kind of even on a more fine-tuned level of you know, the way we teach people to read is you recognize letters and then you make that into a word. Right. And then you read the words. Right. And so, like, when you learn a foreign language, one of the most difficult or kind of one of the hurdles you have to make, right, when you're getting toward something that might resemble fluency is where you're you're no longer recognizing letters and syllables and sounding them out, but you're recognizing words as words, right, like you do when you read your native language. Um, You know, so I don't have to read uh, Facebook, right? Just see the word and you instantaneously know the word and you know you have all these associations with it. But I also think, too, there's another level that a lot of people don't make, which is recognizing more than just the word, right? And recognizing like kind of complete concepts or thoughts together as well, which also helps with this reading that we're talking about, right? And that's maybe they call it like a speed reading technique or something. Uh, I know my mom took a speed reading class when she was in college. So she taught us a lot of these things, right? So it's kind of this privilege that I had growing up that I never really knew. Um, but making kind of that next step as well to the units that you look at and continuing to increase those units and recognize ideas in those units without having to read every single word. Perfect. Can't, can't argue with that. Patreon.com slash thinking religion or just go or thinking FM <laughs> Jesus, or just go to thinking dot thinking dot net thinking. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm still thinking about, uh, what you're saying and and i'm not ugh. that's yeah. right i was just gonna let you flounder there it's just fun every now floundering. and then it's, it's just, floundering yeah i don't uh, ever flounder and uh, see a professional do that yeah yeah right yeah it's like anderson yeah. cooper when he gets in his giggle fits i love it <laughs> i absolutely love it that, that's a good segue anderson yeah. cooper gray hair as well yes don't see, care. oh and yeah you you got a haircut too i did i had the anderson cooper haircut Anderson Cooper hair really short on the sides, which is uh, yeah. That's great. what I told him. I sat down and said, "I said, cut my hair like Anderson Cooper," and and it came and out. Give like me that. his face while you're at it too. Yes, yes, we would all like that. Yes. So, uh, if you haven't had enough of us already, then you should follow us on Twitter. You should donate to the show. As Sam's already said, follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Sam at Sam Harrelson. You can follow me at Thomas Whitley, and you can always find more great podcasts at Thinking.fm. <laughs>